Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey everyone, welcome back to Across the Romaverse. It's uh, episode 68 and we'll be discussing uh, Roma's kind of a cardiac, uh, you know, in, inducing uh, victory against Genoa at the Marassi. It was uh, not as easy as many probably would have hoped, but I guess, you know, based on the way Roma season has gone so far, not that surprising. Uh, we're recording on Tuesday, a day later, just because some things came up yesterday, but I'm here with Jimmy and Brandon. So how are you guys doing tonight? I'm doing all right, man. I mean, I'm, I'm for us in the States, it's uh, Thanksgiving week, which is definitely a nice little break from the hectic day-to-day uh but also i mean i was i don't think anyone who's not happy with how that match went on sunday really needs to check their membership card as a roma fan because it might be expired what about you brandon i'm doing well and uh jimmy i loved your joke on the um the comment section of uh eva snickers uh, yeah after the game (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm doing good. It's been it's been a while since uh, we've had a good a good um, under Tuesday following a Roma win. So I'm very happy about that and actually has me excited for um, Thursday and the weekend. And, and Jim, before I get into the actual rundown of the match, uh, I, I, I read that you convinced your dad to uh, watch with you, but he didn't make it very long in this match. huh? <laughs> OK, to be fair, he woke up when the first Felix goal happened. He know he he, he woke up. <laughs> But I did convince my dad to watch with me and the dog. Um, the dog fell asleep after my dad. So it was it was a pretty dull match for, you know, I mean, I think we can all agree that just the way the Genoa was playing was, 
you know, the way that a side that's fighting for relegation usually plays against a big side. Like, I, I mean, that's just the way that it goes. Everyone says like, oh, Serie A is so defensive compared to the Premier League. That's partially true. But another part of it is that small clubs know, seem to know more than the Premier League clubs that, oh, if I play incredibly tight at the back, I can get one point from a match that I would normally get zero points from. And I think that we really saw from Shevchenko in this match that he was trying to play for one point. And, you know, the fact that we were able to get those three points is definitely what we needed after a pretty terrible month of form, if we're being honest. Yeah, so I'm happy to hear your, your dad woke up for the field goal at least. He got to see the, the exciting part. So maybe he'll come back for more uh, next match with you that he's home with you. But uh, just to give a, a very brief rundown of the match, Roma came into this one with some uh, big question marks in the lineup for once. We've seen Mourinho use the same lineup a lot this year. Not available to him were Vigna, Calafiori, and Spinazzola. So no left back available. And then he got hit with the late news on uh, Saturday. But Brian Cristante and Gonzalo Villar would be unavailable due to COVID protocol. Both players vaccinated. Uh, and asymptomatic but tested positive so unavailable uh, for this one and probably uh, through next weekend so some holes to fill Mourinho decided to stick with three central defenders in the back Mancini, Kumbala, and Ibanez Smalling was back but not fit enough to, to go from the start we didn't see him late in the match uh, Patricio of course in goal Karsdorp and uh, El Shirari playing the winger positions uh, with Mkhitaryan and Pellegrini um, in, in a, a kind of a dual attacking midfield look with uh, Vertu as the defensive mid. Uh, so he was a little bit more withdrawn than we were used to seeing him. And then Shamoradov and Abraham as the two striker look. So uh, a 3-5-2 pretty much. That was more of maybe a 3-1-4-2 in attack. Uh, Roma went from there. But like Jimmy mentioned, uh, you know, Genoa was playing for a draw for much of this match. Sat back, defended. Typical Roma created some chances, but nothing real, real good in the first half or much of the second half. And it took until late for Roma to win this one. Uh, Mourinho, with a bit of a surprising sub, considering he had Nicolo Zagnol on the bench, went to Felix Afenijan. Uh, we'll call him Felix, I guess, for now. And he came on in the 75th minute, and he scored in the 82nd on a, on a lovely team goal that was set up. It was, uh, I think, Vertu started it. Pellegrini laid it off for Mkhitaryan, who then was the one that slotted it to Afenijan or Felix, however you want to refer to him. And he slid it home first time, lovely finish. Got Roma in the lead, and from there, there was no looking back for Roma because, you know, once they got that goal, there wasn't much coming from Genoa. Um, and then late at the dying moments in the 94th minute, the last minute of stoppage time, I mean, Felix just pulled this one out of, I don't know, he's got a big bag of tricks, I guess, that we haven't seen yet because he's 18 years old. Uh, he one he, he up himself with a brace, and he hit a lovely goal from about, I don't know, probably about 20, 25 meters out. Uh, the the final whistle blew and Roma won two nothing. So before we get into the match, uh, I'll just give a couple key team stats. Roma's xG was one point eight to Genoa's zero point two. Most of that zero point two came on a, a play that uh, El Sharari made a great defensive play on Sturaro uh, that deflected. Patricio kept the ball out. Really, Genoa's only chance of the match. Uh, Roma controlled as expected about sixty percent of possession. Uh, 19 shots, but again, only four on target. So that shooting percentage a bit lower than we would hope from Roma in terms of on target percentage, but a match that Roma, you know, clearly dominated one that Genoa was clearly playing for one point as Jimmy mentioned. So uh, we thank you guys because you guys pretty much helped us write this episode with some great questions, uh, you know, so keep them coming for the next episodes because you guys really helped us come up with some good talking points. So the first one I'll go to you is Vittorio Toroni. So as a whole, we're going to look at this victory uh, and he said, can part of this win be attributed to a good interpretation of the 
quote unquote, experimental formation, or was Genoa simply too reluctant to attack? So let's think about that in terms of the, the hole there. Yeah, I, um, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, you know, as, as you and Jimmy were talking about, they certainly were playing for a draw and um, which is, you know, from, for me, it's a little surprising because with a, a new head coach in Shevchenko, you always expect teams to have that new manager bounce and uh, come out with a little extra energy and look to play on the front foot. So to see them not doing that was a little surprising, but going back to the question, um, it's definitely a little, little bit of both. And then with it, with the formation itself, you saw a lot of the players have their best games in a long time. And Mourinho himself talked about it in, um, in the press conference where he said, you know, with the mid, with the midfielders he had in um, Mkhitaryan, Pellegrini and Ferretu that if Genoa was going to be comfortable giving us the ball that they wouldn't be seeing the ball and that, you know, more or less turned out to be the case during the game. So I think a lot of guys had great games that had been struggling, namely Mkhitaryan and Karsdorp, which Mourinho himself singled both of those guys out. So I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah, and I guess I would also just add that I do think that it was obvious to anyone who was watching the game that Roma was throwing whatever they could at Genoa's kind of defensive mentality, which I, I, I don't know if I would describe that as reluctant to attack. I think, as I said before, I think that's just the way that a club like Genoa has to perform, especially during an injury crisis, you know, to beat all injury crises. The one thing I would say is that I was pretty happy with that three at the back defense that was made um, by Mourinho for this match. I don't think, you know, Kumbula didn't have a man of the match performance. That obviously goes to Felix. But I think that an underrated part of having Kumbula on the field with Mancini and Ibanez is that it allows them to be way more aggressive as players. And, you know, whenever we've had, you know, a dynamic duo generally, because we play four at the back a lot through the years, there's almost always been this balance of, a defender who feels comfortable, you know, making the dive that ends an offensive attack that could end in a goal. And the defender who makes sure that when that more aggressive center back is playing, they're able to, you know, do so comfortably with knowing that there's a guy helping them. And whether that's been, you know, Leandro Castan or Federico Fazio, like someone's always been there to help balance out kind of the more aggressive nature of those center backs. And I think that Kumbula can fit that role both in the short term and the long term. And I was pretty happy with that from what I saw. Yeah. And one thing I'll just throw in, I agree. I think it's a combination because, you know, Genoa was sitting so deep that, you know, they didn't test us too much defensively to see if, you know, we would crack maybe under pressure with Vera as the true defensive midfielder, because he is not a true defensive midfielder, but I was very happy with Mkhitaryan's performance as well. I think this formation brought out the best of Mkhitaryan. I've been very um, critical of Mkhitaryan of late. I know his performance has not, not been up to the standard we expect of him over the past couple of years, but you know, he had, he was good on the ball. He had a bunch of shots. He had one goal called back because it actually hit Tammy Abraham's arm on the way through in the first half. Um, you know, had set up the Felix goal with a nice assist, uh, a couple shot creating actions, goal creating actions, uh, very good on the ball for successful dribble. So I was happy with Mkhitaryan. 
So if this experimental quote unquote formation continues, I'd like to see how Mikatarian responds in the coming matches as well. Um, so moving on to, you know, the offense though, as Mikatarian seemed to pick things up a bit, we did have some issues in this one. So we have a couple uh, questions. Uh, one from the Graki brothers and one from Daniel Silva. Actually, no, this is just the Graki brothers on this one. But he said, since we at this stage aren't good enough at a, as a collective level to break down low sitting teams like Genoa played on, on Sunday, really is what they did. Do we need to find more players who can dribble past their man in order to lock up defenses? And he said related who at Rome is actually able to beat his man one on one. Yeah, I mean, I can grab this one first. First of all, about who can actually beat his man one on one. I don't think we have a lack of those players. I think that the issue has been that the players who can beat their man on one-on-one have been having a rough go of it for the past month or so. And to be fair, most players in this side in one way or, or another have been having a rough go of it for the past month or so. So it's not unique, but Nicolo Zaniolo, Stefan El Sharawi, Enrique Mkhitaryan, they all are players who can beat their man one-on-one as offensive players. I don't think of that as like a particularly lacking characteristic in this side. What I think is more the problem, and like I think we've talked about this, you know, over the past couple of weeks, people keep hitting the net. And, you know, this is kind of a hobby horse of mine. I think that Nicolo Zaniolo isn't getting the foul calls that he would in other situations so far. I, I really do think that the fact that he built up so much muscle is in an odd way hurting him when it comes to refs giving him calls on a regular basis. And does that mean that it's not disappointing that he hasn't scored so far? No, it's still disappointing that he hasn't really scored so far. I think he got one goal on like the EUCL qualifiers. Um, But at the same time, I don't think that we have an issue with players who can dribble past their man in a one-on-one situation. I think what's more the issue is that this club has been very unlucky for the past month or two. And there is an issue of mentality outside of that top 11 to 13 players that Mourinho is kind of stuck on choosing. Though I guess we can say 14 now, because I would assume that Felix is going to become a part of the side. Um, I think that once we get more depth, I think that once we, you know, make sure that players like Tammy Abraham and Nicolo Zaniolo are able to, you know, break their duck in one way or another. I think that the offense will come. That's not too much of a concern for me in the, in the long term. So I agree with you, you know, that the team's been unlucky offensively in front of goal. I think, you know, everybody can see that, but I'm going to push back a little bit on, you know, Zaniolo being, one of those players that you trust to consistently beat his man 1v1 and the evidence I guess for me would be again going back to Mourinho's presser after the game he was talking about how um, you know Zaniolo has been struggling because he hasn't had as much space as he's usually used to and um, so you know going back to to the question here I think when you're talking about teams that are sitting in a low block or they're clogging up the space. Zaniello isn't who I would be most comfortable trying to break that, I think. Um, And, you know, I think to answer that question, uh, it leads right into the listener's second question, which is like, who do you feel comfortable with? And obviously more importantly, who does Mourinho feel comfortable with sending out there um, with the purpose of 
um, beating their opponent on the dribble. And I think for me, Tammy, I'm comfortable with, I could be comfortable with um, El Sharari for sure. Um, Mkhitaryan, you know, when he's not, when he's not running to the ground, but aside from that, I'm not super confident. I guess you can throw in Carlos Perez, but the rest of it, the rest of his package is, um, you know, there's a lot left to be desired there. So I think, you know, ultimately it comes down to who you trust, but then I don't think that, um, you know, Mourinho trusts enough of them to, to, you know, to field the whole set of players with the purposes of beating their man on the dribble. Yeah, I think um, beating their man on the dribble, we have plenty of guys who can do it in the open field. I think what when Roma has the issues when they're in tight spaces, like this tightly packed defense where they can't just get into these, uh, you know, open spaces and, you know, Zaniolo can use his muscle and pace to get by someone on the dribble because Zaniolo is great at dribbling people in the open field. He, you know, he, he does that well. I think Tammy's really good at that in the open field. Uh, a lot of players, El Shirari, he's good at creating spaces, getting himself a little bit of room to, to curl in a shot, things like that. Uh, Carlos Perez jumped to my mind too as a guy who can dribble in tight spaces. But like you said, Brandon, he leaves a lot to be desired in his shooting and, and even his passing and distribution once he beats a man off the dribble. So um, I think this team is better built though in the open field because even when we saw the goal this week, the goal came on the break. You know, it was a really good team goal on the break. And that's where Roma was making their, their bread early in the season too. They were finding a lot of goals on the counterattack. And it seems like when a team is, is dug in, like Genoa is dug in, um, and we've seen other teams do it to them too, not even just this season, but under Fonseca as well. And, and even earlier than that, I'm sure, uh, is who's going to make that final pass in, into the box that's going to get unlock it or who's going to dribble their man to get a good shot off. And it, it hasn't happened much, you know, 19 shots, four on target. You know, I sent in the group text to you guys during the match. Like if we had a dollar for every, you know, shot Roma skied over the bar this season, we'd probably make more doing that than we get from Vox Media for doing the podcast on the site because we get peanuts. So I think Roma has capable players. I just want to see more in those tight spaces like um, this question's getting at from uh, the Grocky brothers because it does worry me a bit. I don't know if either of you guys has anything else to add to that, but I, I am worried a little bit when teams do lock down. I, somebody's going to have to find that creative spark. Like we don't have that Toti who has that magical vision to just pull something out of his bag of tricks sometimes to just unlock it. Um, and maybe even just unfurling shots from distance that are a little more accurate would even help to unlock these defenses uh, and, and less from the dribbling standpoint. Yeah. I mean, if, if I may just, you know, kind of defend my take on Zaniolo a little bit, I, I, I think that it's true that so far from what he we've seen that he does far better in a counterattacking position where you know the space is available for him to make the pass or get the foul that leads to a free kick something along those lines at the same time I do think that he has the ability and potential to work more in a constricted setup where you know the defense is really hammering down hard I I I do think that one of the biggest issues for Zaniolo this season has been that, you know, he's not getting foul calls very often. I, and I think that when that gets unlocked, I think that's a when, not an if. Um, things will get a lot easier for Roma offensively, period. Because, you know, no matter what people have been saying, you know, based off of one time during the pouring rain where Zaniolo didn't start, like he's not going to be benched um, based for in the future. I, 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 struggle to believe that there's any chance that he could be benched in the future. Um, and given that, 
I think that once he's able to either figure out how the referees are going to judge him on fouls or when he figures out how to kind of anticipate the fact that he might not get as much momentum. So making that extra pass, uh, I think that either of those movements will really do a, a service for him offensively in the near future. And I think that he will be someone who, even if he's able to beat his man on a one-on-one directly, I do think that he will be able to create an option uh, for a pass that can lead to a goal. Um, whether that's like a hockey assist, you know, the guy who passes to the guy who gets the goal or, you know, a straight assist. Yeah, we call that the pre-assist sometimes when we used to play FIFA with my friends and I. My, my buddy Nick would call it the pre-assist. Jimmy, I have a question for you. Um, mm-hmm. So say next league game, same setup, formation-wise, uh, Mkhitaryan, for whatever reason, can't play. And the options are Felix or Zaniello in that, um, that role behind the strikers. Who do you think Mourinho is picking after Sunday? I think that Mourinho is still picking Zaniolo because he talked about this in the post-match that one of the reasons why Felix was able to come on and make an impact was because, you know, for 80-something minutes, Shemuradov and Abraham were wearing down the defense. And feel, like he said directly, like, you know, Felix is not the most technical player. He's not the guy who's going to create something out of nothing but he is able to get in the right spot. He is able to make a goal happen when it needs to happen. And for that reason alone, I think right now, especially for that role behind the strikers, I don't think Felix is going to be that guy. I think when it comes to playmaking ability, I would put more faith in Zaniolo than Felix. Um, I could be wrong, of course. You know, I mean, we've seen so little of this guy so far and what we've seen has been very impressive, don't get me wrong. But I do have a little bit more faith in Zaniolo as an attacking option still, despite his poor form for the past couple months. And despite, you know, Felix's fantastic form as he's graduated from the Primavera into the senior squad. Yeah, and one number I just want to throw at you guys. So I, as you guys were, were discussing this, I looked up the dribbling numbers from him. Now, this doesn't break down whether it's in the open field or, or in tight spaces or anything, but just straight dribbles. Uh, most on the team per 90 minutes successfully is Zaniolo at 2.5. Him and Pellegrini are tied for the most players dribbled pass with 21. They both have 20 successful dribbles. But I, I bet you guys, I'll give you both one guess. Who has the best dribbling uh, success rate on the team? It doesn't matter how many times they've tried it, but who do you think has the best dribbling success rate? I'll go to Jim and then Brandon. Who, who would you guys guess? Hmm. I feel like I'm going to be embarrassed by saying this, but is it not Lorenzo Pellegrini? percentage wise no okay percentage wise then I, I i have no idea i feel like no matter what we say we're all going to get crucified by listeners in the next uh <laughs> survey for our for our respective guesses but i'll go i'll go el shirari neither so as a player you guys are never going to expect which is why i brought this up so six out of successful six attempts and several seven attempts uh brian cristante 85.7 percent hey brian he he picks and chooses his spots but he (laughs) he does it well when he does it apparently Uh, jordan vertu also pretty high seven for ten seventy percent you know taking this moment i'm taking this moment to say to all the people in the keys that he told the comment section who are like your bench brian send him to (laughs) you know 
send him out, like get rid of him after one match where it's not even his fault. Like he got COVID after getting vaccinated. Like seriously, just stop. Like get some help about this because is Brian Cristante playing in the role where he's going to rack up goals? No, but he's doing pretty damn good for a guy who's playing not in that role that we expected when we signed him from Atalanta. And he's doing well as a a compliment to Veritu. So please just, just stop it with the bench ver the Cristante bet like transfer him away like just give me a break yeah so a bit of a surprise stat there and uh in terms of guys who like actually try to dribble a, quite a bit 20 or more attempts we'll say on the season Tammy's the best at 65.2 a little bit better than Zaniolo and Pellegrini um percentage wise so just just to throw that out there in terms of guys who might be able to do it but again a lot of Tammy and Zaniolo are on the break which kind of opens up more space for them to beat guys with their pace um, and, and even the physique of Zaniolo that he could kind of brush people off. So moving on um, and, con- and continuing with the attack, we'll focus on the attack. Still, we have a couple of questions that kind of tie in together. One from Daniel Silva, one from AS Roma fan six. And uh, Daniel asked, how long do you think it will take for the attack to become clinical in front of goal? And AS Roma fan six says, aside from Felix, Roma didn't show the quality to finish the score. Do you think the issue is with the players lacking quality? Or do you think we have the quality up front? And it's just a matter of time and the goals will start coming in bunches. So Daniel going a bit more optimistic, ask, asking us when it's going to come. Ace Roma fan six may be wondering if we have the quality. So uh, I'll let one of you guys jump in here and take it. What, do, what are you thinking here in terms of our quality and if, if and when it'll come? Well, I think with the first one, you kind of have to be Nostradamus to, to know when that'll happen because uh, <laughs> who's to say it could be next game. It could be a month from now. Hopefully, obviously it's the former. But add to the second question, I think, it's, I mean, I think we have the quality. I think it's a confidence issue at the moment. Um, there was a moment in the game in particular where I forget who, who passed it to Tammy, but in Tammy, instead of, you know, stopping it and turning to shoot towards goal, he kind of tried to lay it off for somebody who is rushing in. And I think a, a confident Tammy wouldn't have done that. We saw it in the Benetia game where he can just bully a defender off and get a shot off and score. And it was a similar situation where I thought he was going to do it again before he laid it off. And maybe it was just a tricky angle or whatnot. But I think that's a sign of confidence lacking and particularly Shamurdov as well, because early in the season, when we first brought him in, he seemed to be converting pretty frequently when he had his opportunities. And yesterday and Sunday, it was just awful in terms of his finishing. Um, it was a small kindness when Mourinho finally took him off. <laughs> uh but yeah, so I think it's a little bit of the confidence issue. I, we obviously have the quality based on all the offensive stats that we've talked about before. But so I think once that changes, the, the script will flip on that. Yeah, I hate to sound like a broken record over the past couple of weeks, but I'm not seeing issues in the offense when it comes to ability to create chances or you know ability to get to the right spot at the right moment like that's not that is not where I feel like this side is lacking um I think it's way more got to do with you know bad luck especially for Tammy Abraham granted you know Shmordov's performance against Genoa was pretty miserable uh but at the same time i've seen enough from him in other matches to not be worried about his ability to create goals in the long term uh you know you you're not he's the type of player who can create multiple assists 
in a match even when he's not scoring and that's the type of player you want and they'll have rough spells and they'll have good spells and that's just the way that it goes um as for you know how long yeah i'm not nostradamus i i i, I don't know i i can't predict that i i think that it'll be soon uh simply because i liked what i saw from tammy abraham against venezia i like what i see from him pretty much every match it's just like okay at some point the levy's gonna break and the goals are gonna start pouring in yeah it, it, it's it's so hard to predict when it's going to happen but i agree i i think we have the quality players like zaniolo pellegrini abraham you know uh el sharari mikatarian even Shamordov to an extent some teams would kill to have attackers like that in their arsenal uh and then you throw in a kid like felix who's shown some potential so uh, even Carlos Pettis probably gets more minutes elsewhere in the league. So I think it'll come for Roma. Uh, I saw a tweet today. It was actually put out by uh, a, a, an account called at uh, Roma things uh, goes by Dorosi's tattoo on Twitter. And he broke down all of the, the shooting numbers per game of big teams across Europe. Roma has the third most shots per game uh, only behind Liverpool and Bayern Munich uh, with 18.5 shots per game. So that's a heck of a lot of shots. Roma's putting on target. The difference is when you look at the number of goals scored, uh, Liverpool's got 35 goals scored. Bayern Munich's got 41. Roma's got 23. The only other club that's kind of struggling to score like Roma is based on their, their shots is the next team is fourth is City with 17.7 shots, only 25 goals because most of the teams that are getting a volume of shots are scoring goals. Uh, Roma's XG second best in the league behind Inter, 25.4 to 27.2. So it shows they're doing good things. They're putting themselves in great positions. They're getting quality shots. It's not like they're just shooting it from like, half field and, 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 and praying for the best. So um, I, I think they'll come. And then um, even corner kicks he posted because Roma's got 92 corners, which is 10 more than the next best team, which kind of shows you're getting yourself in good positions in the box where the defense has to make a play on you, either block a shot or, you know, clear a ball out or, or take it off one of our players dribbling through and just put it out for a corner. So I think they'll come. I think the quality is there. I'm not worried about that. Um, it's just a matter of when it comes. So hopefully Tammy and Eldor can get it together if they do start together again on Sunday, because, you know, we paid a lot of money for them. And I think that's the concern a lot of people are having, like, is Tammy going to turn into the next chick? We sure hope not. I don't think so. I expect much better um, from Tammy. And I think it'll come. Uh, we'll do yeah, one just, last. Oh, Go ahead, Jim. I'm, I'm just going to add, since you were talking about Tammy becoming the next chick. I mean, do I think that could happen? Yeah. But at the same time, I mean, everyone needs to remember how poor Edwin Jaco's first season with Roma was. And then he became a capo canoniere and he became one of Roma's top scorers in club history. So I think that as much as it's not going on as well as some might have hoped for his first season, I, I, I don't think that he's like doomed to become Patrick Schick 2.0 just yet. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and then just to, to wrap up this part about like the formation and, and player performances, uh, Daniel Silva asked, what did we make of the back three on Sunday? And AS Roma fan six also again here said it was good to see Kambula and Smalling both available and getting some time. Assuming Smalling can stay healthy, how does that change what Roma may do defensively moving forward? So uh, do we see them sticking with the back three long term, I think is what they're getting at? Or, or does it, you know, is it maybe more of a left back issue in these? I think, you know, for the near future, they definitely will stick with the back three. I think the game Sunday was a little rough to watch for stretches in terms of breaking down Genoa, but I think he ultimately got the three points and you created a lot of chances and, you know, similar situation when we played Venezia, 
as well. So I think this this formation is going to get a run out for a good run of games until uh, it stops working, um, which generally seems to be the formula with this team sometimes in terms of going to different formations. But I think so. I think as long as we're doing this, it's going to be that back three of Mancini, Ibanez, and Kumbolo. Provided that they keep getting the results, I think once the results start to get a little shaky, you can see Smalling easily coming in for Kumbula. But until then, I think if it isn't broke, you know, no need to change it. Yeah, I agree. I think for the time being, it'll be this, especially because I saw all three left backs trained individually again. So I can't see Mourinho moving away from this for Zoria on Thursday or Torino on Sunday at this point, at the very least. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, we're back from our quick commercial break, and uh, we're going to get a little bit more into uh, some things off the pitch now, more Mourinho-related. We had a couple of questions Mourinho-related on different topics, and uh, the first one comes from Jody, frequent listener, and he said, with the latest Mao tactical revelations uh, in his pregame interview, should we take whatever he said with a grain of salt? Because in, in the interview, he said that, you know, Mourinho basically said, you're right, with Cristante out, the, the back three slash five we've been working on is now out of the window. But it turned out Roma came out with a back three anyway. So do you think he did it intentionally? Do we have to take these things with a grain of salt? I know, Brandon, you did the, the pre-match presser piece for the site. What do you make of his comments? I feel like you always have to take what Mourinho says with a grain of salt. The way that I look at Mourinho press conferences is if they're stand-up comedy acts. Um, it's a similar approach I take with Zlatan when he has his interviews. Um, I love them both because of it. But some of the things they say, you can clearly tell that um, it's a little tongue in cheek and you can't really take it for what it is. Um, And having said that, I think in situations such as what we were going into Sunday where you have a new manager in Shevchenko and you're not really sure how they're gonna line up. And you also have, your team also has its own issues in terms of players missing due to injury or COVID in Crisante and Villar's case it plays to be a little more coy um, in these situations. Yeah. And I mean, I would just add that on top of the look, if you're not, if you're not expecting some mind games from Mourinho in a press conference, you haven't been paying attention on top of that. I think that it's become clearer and clearer over the past month or so that Mourinho is as exasperated as, you know, Luciano Spalletti usually got with the Roma media at this point, like he's pretty exasperated with these guys, whether it's, you know, them saying like, oh, there's been a fallout between Mourinho and Mkhitaryan or Mourinho and Zaniolo. Like they, they've been insisting on all of these different drama storylines because they know that people expect drama from Mourinho. So they know if they write whatever, that it'll create a dramatic storyline that people will want to read about. Um, I think Mourinho is pretty exasperated by the press. So I, it normally would not, take what Mourinho says as 100% the gospel truth coming out of a press conference, but especially in this particular moment, I would not take it as anything other than a 
mental decision that he's trying to make to balance the needs of his squad and the needs of the club. Like, I, I don't think he's just going to, he's not on, on a truth serum or something like that. Um, yeah, I, I would yeah. say, oh, oh, go ahead, Jim. No, it's finish. fine. Keep going. I was just going to say, yeah, Jody, we got to take this like a big, like giant grain of salt, because I, I think at this point, he's just trying to protect his interests, the interests of the club, trying to keep as much close to the vest, especially at a time where Roma's struggling uh, to, to like keep the, you know, as much of a secret and, and mystery surrounding the team going into a match as he can. And I was going to save this question till later from Daniel Silva. He has another one. Uh, but I think it fits here because we're talking about the media. He said, from your experience as a Roma journalist, I mean, we can say like, you know, amateur journalists here and fans, why are the radios in Rome sometimes against the team instead of spreading the belief and positive energy toward the team? I mean, I, I could only pin it on, you know, getting listens, um, selling newspapers, getting ratings. Uh, but I don't know if the Roma media, uh, the Roman media, especially the ones that cover, you know, Calcio, have ever met their match like they have in Mourinho here. I mean, Mourinho is a tough customer to crack from what we've seen. I mean, he his press conferences pre and post match make for some great reading. I don't usually watch them live on Twitter because I know that the team streams a lot, but man, do they make for some great reading. I chuckle once in a while reading the comments that he comes up with. Yeah, and I mean, I would just add that Roma is in this such unique spot as a club, and that's why I find following Roma to be fantastic. Like, Roma has the media circus around it of like a Real Madrid without and like the aspirations of a fan base of a Real Madrid without the finances to back it up. And it's creates so much conflict that is just really always so fascinating to watch. And I think that's part of the reason why Roma's media is so nuts that like the fan base itself has really high expectations for what the club should be doing on a year to year basis. Um, I would also add that anytime you see a club with a huge following uh, with their media presence, it's always going to have some drama, whether, you know, in the, in the United States, it's the New York Yankees, the Los Angeles Lakers, you know, or the Boston Celtics or any team like that, any team that has like a history of elite players and is in a major city, there's going to be drama. And that's why I, 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 this is, not a unique thing to Mourinho's era in Rome that there's been a crazy um, kind of journalistic presence surrounding the club. If anything, I think it's just been kind of expanded upon because of who Mourinho is as kind of an icon of soccer for the past 25 years. Um, He's such a unique figure in footballing history that there's no question that adding him to what is already kind of the insanity of Roman football would only create more potential for these journalists to create drama. Yeah, I agree. I agree with uh, what Jimmy was saying. And I was actually, I was going to mention myself, you know, the New York media and compare it to that. Um, and I guess going off of that kind of, it kind of speaks as to the essence of being a sports fan where the sky is always falling, except when it isn't. And uh to quote the great Don Draper, um, what is happiness? It's a moment before you need more happiness, which is exactly what it's like to be a sports fan. And so when you're in these huge, huge cities with a ton of media president presence, sorry, um, that's exactly what you're going to get. You're going to get a lot of doom and gloom reporting when things aren't going well. 
Yeah. And I can speak from living in New York. It's always like the sky is falling, like you said, because there's so many papers out there, so many outlets out there that everyone's trying to get an angle, trying to, to get a story that people want to follow. And, and, you know, sky is falling sells more than, than the happy notes, you know, a lot of times, especially when things aren't going uh, glowingly, like I'm a New York Islanders fan of hockey. They made the conference final two years in a row. And right now they're, they're, they're struggling. And, you know, I read like the message boards on Twitter and all these sites and people commenting on the results. And it's like, Oh, you know, wake me up when the draft comes around. Like we're 15 games into the season. You had a team that is projected to be a, a strong Stanley cup contender, but that's just the mentality. I think of sports fans and the media follows that. And they're like, yeah, we can, we can get people hyped up. And uh, Jim, I'll let you, I'll let you say what you want to say, but before I, I do that real quick, I just want to throw in part of that was, you know, we saw the, the stories about Nicolas Agnol this week. Oh, you know, him and Mourinho are fighting. He's not happy about his role. The kid's been playing almost every minute, every game, probably to the point where many people would rather see his minutes toned down a bit. And here it is, the media, like almost trying to create the infighting like we saw last season. We saw the Jekko Fonseca drama and like the media wants that in a way, uh, even as fans of the team, which is a bit disheartening and, and a bit disgraceful when you think about it. If you're uh, a Roma devoted radio station and you don't even cover Lazio, say, why do you want these kind of stories coming out? Like, I, I, I don't get it if I'm a fan, but I, I get it, I guess, to sell papers. We see it in, in all news, really, in all media outlets, whether it be political or sports related these days, you know, uh, the, 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 I don't know, the conflict sells, I guess, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, I would just add that in the post Totti and post De Rossi Roma verse, the two people who have come remotely close to creating as much press presence and like star power in the world of AS Roma are Nicolo Zaniolo and Jose Mourinho, Jose Mourinho. Um, like those are the two stars of the post, especially post De Rossi era. I think that's safe to say. Um, and so it's kind of natural in terms of, you know, selling a product that they both want to create conflict around those two stars and potentially create conflict between them. But, you know, Plenty of people commented on this immediately after the game. The fact that Zaniolo was 100% excited to see Afena Gyan um, score his two goals, especially that second one. I, I think that just goes to show that, you know, you shouldn't believe everything you read when it comes to the Roma media. Uh, in addition, I mean, I don't know if you guys have been reading the press conferences where Mourinho talks about Zaniolo. But he's been really complimentary of him throughout his entire time in Rome. Like, is that a coincidence considering that, you know, the club and basically everyone around the club has decided that this is the guy? No, of course, he's not going to just like say, oh, Nicolo Zaniolo, what a piece of garbage player. But at the same time, the fact that, you know, even in the press conference following this match, he said, I can see Zaniolo playing long term. Like he has the ability to play long term as a striker, as a Mezzala, like he, he basically said the sky was the limit again for like the millionth time for Zaniolo. And despite the poor form in terms of actual goals scored, that is what convinces me that there's really not anything between the two of them. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the uh, celebration puts things to rest. I think it just shows that the guys that Mourinho has on his bench in these matches are guys he finds to be part of the team because every one of those players seems to have bought into the team mentality. Everybody was there surrounding Felix after the goal. Nico was jumping on top of the pile. You know, Tammy might've had a rough match in terms of his shooting, but he was all up in there in the celebration. Everyone was all in. And, and I think that shows that Mourinho has 
built that team mentality, that kind of siege mentality that um, I know Sean had mentioned way back in the summer when Mourinho was hired that Mourinho was probably going to try to build that siege mentality. And he fights with the media to protect his team and the players he wants are here. Everybody else was jettisoned out in the summer or they're practicing. I don't know if they're even in Trigoria these days. They're somewhere at, in their home gym or just sitting around eating bonbons, whatever they're doing, uh, the Fatios of the world. But I, I think that puts to rest any Zaniolo issues. But from the media standpoint, you know, Zaniolo is our, I mean, quote unquote, next big thing, according to everything we've read from what we've seen pre-injury, we hope post-injury as well. So to create stories that kind of show that he's fighting with Mourinho and you, you are kind of like, getting inside this kid's head really bothers me. You know, Pellegrini's also stepped up as a star. So maybe some, it takes a little bit of pressure off Zaniolo now because now we have our next Roman star, which everybody loves to have in Rome. But, you know, if you watch the Tottenham documentary, The All or Nothing, you saw the difference between the way Deli Alli uh, took to Mourinho and the way Zaniolo's taken to Mourinho. I think Zaniolo's taken to Mourinho, where Deli Alli is also a young star in the Tottenham ranks. And once Mourinho came, his star kind of faded. I don't see Zaniolo's star fading. I think he's just in a position where he's coming back from injury. And it, it takes time. We've talked about this many times. So I, I think the celebration put that all to rest, long story short. Um, and I, I don't think there's any issues there. But speaking of Zaniolo, we kind of mentioned it earlier, but uh, Ja'Kai Walker commented or asked us a question. And he asked, what do we think Zaniolo's best position is? And where do we see him fitting in the new formation? We've talked about his best position in the past. But in terms of if we stick with this 3-1-4-2 kind of look, uh, where would you prefer that he play? That's a great question. I think I'd probably go as the second striker or, um, you know, at wide, but because as Mourinho mentioned in his press conference, he doesn't really rate um, Zaniolo through the middle, which for me, I always thought that that was probably his best position long-term, but, you know, Mourinho is the coach of Roma, so he might know a thing or two more than me, but Having said that, I think, you know, if, if you're going to rule him out of that, that, that role behind the two strikers, I think one is the second striker with Tammy would be great, especially because Tammy is so good at the holdup play. And if you have Zaniolo playing off him wide, um, making those runs in behind, I think that's kind of a tailor-made combination. And then Zaniolo as a wingback is something that I'm probably not is uh, keen on. <laughs> But Elsher already made it work on Sunday. So, you know, I'm not going to rule anything out, especially if you're a player as young as Zaniolo, who's, who's very clearly willing to, to run for the team. Yeah, and I, I would just add that I think that the reason why we've switched to a 3 one 4 2 more than anything else is because of how underwhelming and injured so many of our fullbacks have been um, over the past couple of months. If we're able to sign a player like Diogo Dallo, from Manchester United on a loan with a relatively cheap option to buy. And if we're able to expect Spinazzola to be back within the next month or two, which, you know, that's what he's been saying. I, I definitely wasn't expecting him back by December, but he's been acting like December, January, February is when he'll be back. And if he's able to do that, um, I wouldn't be surprised if we switched back more towards a fullback heavy formation as opposed to you know this kind of fullback slash winger situation we've got with El Sharawi playing on the left and Karsdor playing on the right uh so I think that this is a temporary response more than anything so I'm not too worried about where Zaniolo fits into the 3-1-4-2 long term uh given that I agree with Brandon that you know that second striker position that Shamoradov kind of inhabited but 
you know, Afena Gion, I think we can all agree, did a better job with in this past match. I think that's where he could find a home. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Jim, in the sense that I don't think this is the long-term solution. Mourinho even referenced, like, oh, we had no left backs. Do I stick with a back three or do I go to a back four knowing that Cristante's out? So he kind of mentioned that in his press conference. It was kind of like, well, what's the, the lesser of two evils in this situation without a left back available to me? Uh, I do think they'll stick with it this week because, like I said earlier, we don't know the status of the left backs coming into it. But um, one, it, I'll, I'll answer Zaniola part first. I do like him as a second striker, too. I think uh, him running off Tammy is an interesting prospect. Um, I think it can allow him to be very direct against uh, a defense like Torino's. I'd like to see him and Tammy play together in the Torino match because Eldor was underwhelming on Sunday. Um, just to give it a look, I, I, the wing back proposition doesn't uh, excite me as much because El Shirari really had to work hard defensively in that match. I mean, he worked like a dog. So I give El Shirari a lot of credit in that match. Zaniola works, but I don't know if he'll work to that extent at this point because he's still maturing in that mindset. And I think that's something Mourinho has referenced. Uh, he referenced a few matches ago in one of his press conferences on the defensive work rate of um, Zaniola and just the positioning. It's not even always the work rate, just the the tactical awareness of having to play wing back. It, it puts more responsibility on him. But um the one thing I don't like about this formation long-term, um, besides the fact we don't have a true defensive midfielder right now, I think if you're playing 3-1-4-2, you kind of need a little more protection in front of the, the defense, is by playing three center backs, it takes off one of our more dangerous attacking players, which we seem to have so many of right now. So it's almost like, do you sacrifice Zaniolo for Kumbala like we did this week? Do you sacrifice, you know, uh, Mkhitaryan for Kumbala or El Shirari for Kumbala? I, I, don't, I don't think so long-term because then if Spinazzola comes back, Whereas El Shirari play, I think it, it creates a, a whole other bunch of questions that we could talk a whole another episode about. But, it, you know, like like Brandon said, we're not the coach of AS Rome. We're not the manager. We're not the guy who's got like a trophy case full of titles and rings and whatever else Mourinho has and lots of money uh, and prestige. So we'll see which way he goes with it. But it'll certainly be interesting. But I think just in terms of Zaniolo, I would say second striker personally. Um, and then talking about Mourinho and some of his young players, we talked about um how Deli Alley didn't work out at Spurs Harry Kane loved him I saw in that documentary here we're talking about Zaniolo another player who was nothing but complimentary of Mourinho was was Felix and, and I guess rightfully so he's given him a chance I mean this guy was playing high school soccer in Ghana just about a year ago he's 18 years old first player born in 2003 to score in Serie A so the first 18 year old this season to score um so Jody asked, uh, with Felix coming in and changing the general game in crucial minutes, plus everything he said he said about Mourinho, is it the right time to evaluate how we perceive Mourinho and his relationship with young players? Um, just because I know in the past, he's had a kind of reputation of not really wanting to deal with young players. So what do you think about that? I think you're muted, Jim. Whoops. Um, I think I would personally just say that I agree that Mourinho had the reputation for not necessarily working with young players as well, but I do think that the environment that he's in with this particular version of Roma is so different from the other clubs that he's managed in the past decade that it's a bit of a different conversation. I think with Manchester United, I mean, even, even with Manchester United, he did push forward several young players. Um, and it's not like he like through every single young player at Tottenham into the doghouse either. I think that there's a difference of, you know, promoting direct players from the Primavera, which 
let's be real, no Serie A manager is very eager to do on a regular basis. I think that's one of the biggest issues that we often have with Serie A, that compared to the Bundesliga in particular, managers just do not want to throw any of their promising players onto the field. They're afraid, they're too afraid that they're going to get fired for a one mistake and it causes problems. Um, as for, you know, Felix changing the game, and which he obviously did. I mean, this would have been a draw without him. Um, I'm trying to temper expectations with him in the long term. I think that we always knew based off of his goal scoring rate with the Primavera, which even this season was like something around the lines of like six goals in five matches, more, more than a goal per match. And since he even joined up in January of 2021 with the Primavera, he was scoring like more than a goal per match that season too. Like he's just been on straight fire since he started pulling on a Roma shirt, regardless of whether it was for Primavera or the senior squad. I don't want to push too many expectations on him too quickly. Do I think he's an exciting player? Of course. Do I think that he'll probably, you know, get another chance to play for the Ghanaian national team? Of course. Um, at the same time, I hope that everyone in the Romaverse recognizes that despite having one fantastic substitution appearance in a match where it really mattered, that he's still an 18-year-old player. And there's a lot of work to do between now and when we can say even that he's like a full rotation player in the squad. Um, Zaniolo coming on against Real Madrid and performing well was like a sign that he could make it. It wasn't a sign that he had arrived. And that's kind of how I feel about Felix after this match too. You know, he scored a brace, which is fantastic, practically unheard of for an 18-year-old in Serie A. But that doesn't mean that he's arrived. And I think that, I hope that we don't, put too much pressure on him too quickly. I agree with you on both points. Um, and I'll go one further than you on the Mourinho's relationship with the young players aspect of the question. Um, as you mentioned at Man U, he pushed youth. He you know, gave Greenwood his shot at 15, I think it was. Um, as Stephen was referencing with the Tottenham documentary, he gave Tanganga his debut. Um, who's a player that I really like and um, really enjoyed watching in that documentary. But, and then obviously here at Roma, you have uh, Felix getting his, his, his start and you also have Darboe and Bove getting some minutes as well. So Mourinho obviously has this reputation of walking into locker rooms that are already, you know, prepared for him upon arrival, essentially with all these big names and whatnot. But even within that, he still has a pretty good track record of giving promising young players their debuts and they often come through for him um, in various capacities. So I think on that front, you know, it's, it's, it's a fun uh, media narrative to say that he doesn't really give youth a chance. And that's always something that fans of clubs can criticize managers for is not giving youth enough chances. Um, we see that here at Roma all the time. So I think that's just generally part of the larger And then as to the second question, as the second part of the question with, um, you know, Felix's role in the team, I also agree with you that it's necessary to temper expectations. Um, having said that, I think I was 
you know, so amped when he scored. I don't think I've ever seen uh, a player so young on Roma take their goal so confidently, um, especially the second one. As soon as he he fired up to take that hit, I knew it was going in. It was. It felt like something that you would see on FIFA where, like, you're playing your buddy and they, they're shooting from outside the box and you're like, oh, I'm toast. Um, <laughs> and then it goes in. But to that point, though, I think it is important to temper expectations. You mentioned Jimmy Zaniola at Real Madrid, um, how that worked out, but also there was a, you know, there was a stretch where, where Gerson was um, scoring a few goals for us and we all thought he had turned a corner in his Roma career and that obviously didn't work out. So I think it's important to temper expectations. I'm a little more confident in uh, Felix thus far than, than I was in Gerson at the time, I will say, but I think it's all about for Felix, at least, you know, staying, staying humble, working, uh, getting into the team consistently. And I think if he does that, he'll be fine. But it's kind of on Mourinho to manage those minutes till then and not throw him into the deep end. Yeah, I agree with you guys on, on pretty much all your points. I think, you know, the narrative around Mourinho, if you look deeper, like you said, Brandon, the, the evidence is there that he will give certain young players a chance if, if they strike his fancy. I think their narrative probably comes from the fact that he's been in positions where money is not an issue, where if you need a player, the owner will spend money and go out and get somebody for you. And, and you don't have to necessarily bring up a young player the way he has, especially now, because now Roma's really thin uh, in terms of what he sees as quality veteran players. Um, you know, in terms of tampering expectations, look at Davide Santone. Mourinho brought him up at 18 at Inter. Uh, he was getting the next Maldini comparisons. Unfortunately, things did not go for Santone the way the media hyped it up in Italy. Uh, so we hope that expectations are tampered around Felix. I think right now he's still more of an impact sub most weeks. Uh, maybe we'll see him get a start. Uh, actually, the conference league, he's not even on the roster. I don't think I don't think he was even in the picture at the time when they had to submit roster. So unfortunately, I don't think we'll even see him on Thursday. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, I think the Zaniola comparison is good. And uh, I just have to give a shout out to whoever the, the scout was that found this kid uh, playing high school soccer in Ghana. The scouting network, it has to be really good because, uh, he's looking like a find, you know, and that, that was be our man, pants. Morgan, the Sanctus, that was Morgan, the Sanctus who found him. He talked to, I've, I've been reading up on this cause I was really curious about how a guy could go from playing high school level football to, you know, getting coveted by like six or seven Serie A clubs from what I read about his transfer process. And yeah, it was Morgan, the Sanctus. He went down to Ghana, watched him play, was impressed and had to, and apparently, according to you know Felix's agent, basically what happened was that the Sanctus sent in the first transfer offer before Milan, before Atalanta, before Juventus, before Inter, and just got it done. Um, and so, you know, I I always liked him when he was our goalkeeper, uh, but I like him even more now that he's gotten us Felix. I so yeah. wish I said Monchi there. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a. <laughs> that would have been something after he also got a Zaniolo. But um, yeah, and I, I think with Felix, there will be some growing pains. Every young player has grown pains. Zaniolo's had them. You know, uh, everybody's had them in their career, no matter what kind of star they turn into. It's just, you know, they're going to have to be managed and the expectations will be managed. I mean, even Darboe, look, he was great toward the end of last season. He's had a couple of rough patches this season, but, you know, he's still a quality prospect. So I think uh, Felix has plenty of room to grow. And I hope, uh, you know, we see more of him as the season goes on. And hopefully, uh, yeah, DeSanctis, great find. So, 
Um, speaking of the younger players and looking ahead to Sunday, we referenced the midfield issues with Crisante and VR in COVID quarantine, I think through the weekend, because it's the 10 day window will take them into early next week, about a week from now. Um, and then on top of that, Jordan Vertu got a yellow card, which was his fifth of the season on Sunday at, at Genoa, which means he can't play on Sunday. He can play Thursday. Uh, so he'll probably reprise his defensive midfield role against Zoria, um, Pellegrini likely to be rested on Thursday uh, against the Ukrainian side because, you know, he was already dealing with the knee inflammation and, and kind of gutted through that on Sunday for like 88 minutes. So I expect he's going to be saved for Torino. You're not playing him at two matches at this point. So uh, Brent put an article that Darboe and Eduardo Bobe are pretty much competing for some playing time in that central midfield role, probably Thursday. And again, probably on Sunday, um, Sunday will be interesting, especially because, you know, Thursday, you compare one of them with Vertu. Vertu could play the more defensive role against uh, Zoria, but, Sunday, you're looking at probably Pellegrini withdrawing into a deeper midfield role next to one of those two. So there's going to be a lot of defensive pressure on one of them in that role. Do, do you see either one having an advantage? Do you have a preference on either of them starting? Um, maybe one on Thursday, one on Sunday. What are you thinking? Yeah, I mean, personally, I am probably expecting Bobe to start just because I've seen... I don't know. This it's been a couple months now, but I still remember that video clip that aired in on Twitter of Mourinho basically just straight yelling at Darboe for making a mistake defensively during one of our um, preseason matches. And sure, he's built up more time since then. For all I know, Mourinho has just totally moved on. But from what I've read about Bove, it definitely seems like he's got the mental aspect of the game down and in a match where you know there's going to be so many different players missing or playing in different roles that strikes me as what you want even more than you know just ability like I I'm pretty sure that considering Darbo has gotten more starts that at least at this point he might have more ability than Bove but Bove seems to have a calm head on his shoulders more than anything else so that's why I would say that probably I expect him to play. So for me, I can't say that I'm a big uh, Primavera viewer. So I apologize to our listeners that are big on the Primavera. But so I haven't seen much of Bove. Um, so essentially, I'm working off of what you're telling me right now. And what I've, what I've, the, the few things that I've read online um, with him, but I will still think, I will still say that I would, I would uh, expect Darboe to play before Bove just because you know, he's, he's had a run of games with the team already. I know you referenced him getting, you know, screamed at by Mourinho for his performances, but at the same time, we're still relatively recently um, working with a new formation. And I think it pays to have guys in there that have some chemistry with each other. And so since Darbo is already been out there with some of these guys, I can easily see him being the choice just because he has some of that familiarity with these guys yeah I, I I'm wondering if it'll be Bove just because he got that run out late in the match on Sunday and um, I know over the international break he was playing with the Italy under 20 scored a couple goals so it seems like he might be in good form maybe riding a little confidence high um, but Darboe might just have the leg up because he's played more so it'll be interesting to see uh, it actually leaves some mystery in the probable formations a piece that was becoming a little stale thanks to Mourinho uh, pretty much running out the same 11. I told Brent, like, I might have to stop doing these for a while until 
uh, COVID kind of came through this weekend with the, the Cristante and some of the injuries, but uh, it'll be interesting to see. It's a big week ahead um, for Roma. Zori in the conference league, you know, I'm not going to go out and say Roma's going to go run through Zori on Thanksgiving. Um, you know, I'll, it, it'll be Thanksgiving here. I don't know much how, how much I'll get to see. I don't know about you guys as well with it being a holiday, um, but we can't take the conference league for granted anymore as we saw thanks to Bode. Um, and then Torino on Sunday will be interesting because Ivan Joric has them playing better than they were last season, no longer fighting relegation. His side's usually defensively very sound. We saw that with Hellas the past couple seasons. Uh, so it could be another interesting challenge for Roman to have to break down a, a tight defense. Anything else you guys want to throw in before we wrap up on the, the coming week or anything uh, to that effect? I will just say that I'm not going to temper expectations for this week. Two 3-0 wins. I'm calling it right now. Yeah, if we can if we can bring home three uh, against Torino, I'd be very impressed because they have the second best defensive record in the league I looked up today. Uh, only Napoli better. So very impressive from Torino. So far. I think they're averaging giving up one goal per match, which is second best. Yeah, I would love it if that happens. Don't get me wrong. Um, my wild and crazy bet is that Bove is going to score a goal in the next week. That's my bet. That we're going to have dueling Primavera prospects when it comes to who's the future of Roma, Felix or Bove. And uh, we're going to run with that. <laughs> hey, we'd love to see it. So we thank you guys for listening. We thank you guys for getting your questions in. You know, if you're not on Twitter to submit questions, maybe in our, our match review on Sunday's match, maybe throw up like a, a comment titled like podcast question or something in all caps. So it catches our eye. We could try to get some of those in there too, because we don't want people who aren't on Twitter and social media who, you know, are, you know, loyal listeners to not be involved in the show. So certainly if you have questions, uh, keep an eye out after Sunday's match in, Tur- in Tur- uh, actually at home, not in Turin. They're hosting Torino at the uh, Olympico in Rome, not at the Olympico in Turin. So thanks again for listening. Get your questions in. And uh, thanks for giving us so much to talk about today. 